0: This episode contains a narrative account of sexual assault. At UMass Amherst, the weeks following early semester sexual assault allegations marched onward rife with tension, friction, and disappointment. Efforts from the university to investigate the anonymous allegation and validate the frustrations that spilled over in protests and actions across campus fell not on deaf ears, but on hardened hearts. An email from Chancellor Kumble Subaswamy attempting to quell destructive protesting incensed student demonstrators even more. Reporting from the Daily Hampshire Gazette featured a plea From the president of Theta Chi directed towards UMass administrators to dismiss the allegations, also incensing student demonstrators. Attention and mounting interest from other media outlets also left a sour taste. On September 22nd, students gathered in the student union turned away a crew of CBS national producers and cameramen, noting that information shared would be sensitive and personal. My name's Caroline, I'm a senior here at UMass, and I'm a survivor of sexual assault and rape. I'm Meg.
1: Hi, Meg! uh, When I was 17, I was sexually assaulted, and I've thought about it every single day since. After it happened, he asked if I was okay, and I said, I wish you would listen, when I said
0: no, over and over. My name is Marlena, and
1: I'm a survivor of sexual assault
0: Went into the hallway, brought you, and told the other guys to follow him, and told uh girls not to go. I put my ear under the door and I listened to their conversation as he tried to convince the other two guys, my two friends, to rape us. Legions of survivors came forward and bore their traumas in public settings, at women-held gatherings, in forums with chancellors and deans, and in sit-ins at administrative buildings. <laughs>
1: My name is Mick. I graduated from UMass in 2018, and in my first semester on campus, which was fall 2014, I was sexually assaulted.
0: One of those survivors is Mick.
1: And they're like, you need to be protecting other women. He gets up. And he grabbed my face. Um, so we never locked our door, but that was the first night that I locked the door. And to see the same things playing out over and over again is just heartbreaking. I don't know how else to put it.
0: For WMUA News, I'm Rebecca Pereira. I was um, the
1: first person in my family to graduate from college so going into my first semester of my first year I really had like no idea about anything about college classes and campus life and stuff like that Um, and I was dealing with like my own like anxiety issues already and stuff like that before I got to campus so it was it was definitely like a a scary new thing so I really spent most of my time focusing on my classes um not so much like the social aspect I went to the library to um write my essays to finish my essay for my ideas that changed the world class in the honors college, um, and was approached by a stranger that I had never met before or anything like that. Um, and at first he asked me if I studied microbiology. I couldn't help him. Um, so he walked away, Um, and then an hour later, he came back, and I thought that was really weird, and he asked if he could sit with me, Um, and I am somebody who definitely does not like to sit with strangers or anything like that, but I also didn't feel comfortable saying no. What's the harm of, you know, letting this random guy sit close to me in the library but he didn't just um want to sit near me he wanted to like talk to me and so he started asking questions like you know like what's your name what's your grade what are you studying where do you live on campus well first he actually asked me to proofread his essay um his medical ethics essay he like kind of just shoved his computer at me, um, and I don't really remember if I, like, actually read the essay or not, but I do know that his name was written on the, you know, in the heading of the paper, so I at least saw his name, and whether I read the essay, I don't know. Then, you know, we're, we're, we're separately working again. And he starts to ask, like, these more uncomfortable questions, um, like, do you have a boyfriend? Do you like to drink? Are you a virgin? I don't remember if he, like, forced me or if I just couldn't say no, but we ended up exchanging phone numbers. um, And then, you know, he keeps going on with this uncomfortable conversation. And so I'm, I'm getting creeped out at this point. Like, I don't... I don't know what's going on, but this man is making me very uncomfortable, um, And but I don't know what to do. Of course, I'm easily distracted, so I had a bunch of other tabs. So I think I had Facebook open, and I get a notification that um, this girl on my floor um, has liked my Facebook photo, and I was like, oh, my God, um, like this. Is like my lifeline. Like, there's somebody I know who is like currently like awake and online right now. So I I started typing to her in um, Facebook Messenger, being like, "Oh my god, like Gina, I don't I don't know what to do. Like, there's a creep in the library. Like, and I don't know what to do." And so she's she wanted more information, and I answered whatever her question was at the time, but nothing had really, like, escalated. I don't know what the word would be, but, like, nothing I'd, like, report to anyone or anything. But then he gets up, and he grabs my face, and, you know, he sticks his tongue in in my mouth, he bites my lower lip, like, he's trying to make out with me. I'm still, I still have that Facebook Messenger with... My floor mate on it, and I messaged her, being like, Oh my god, like this guy just like assaulted me. Like, basically, there was another floor mate who also happened to be awake because he actually was in the same ideas class, writing the same essay as I was. Um, and so she goes and gets him. Um, and says that she's going to send him to come get me in the library. Like, I guess she fills him in that, like, there's a creepy man and he needs to come rescue me or whatever. Um, this boy is running to the library from our dorm, um, and he, you know, comes up the elevator and he comes to our floor. Um, and I'm, I'm shaking, um, but, you know, I'm still waiting for him, um this guy is still talking to me he's he's now he's asking me like how tall i am the male floor mate arrives um, and he comes but we're still there for like a few minutes like he doesn't just like get me and we run out because i i still kind of frozen and i didn't know how to leave that situation But we ended up just like going straight down the elevator and flying out and running (laughs) down to the honors college, Um, and like I am just like shaking and crying, and we make it back to Sycamore, and um, the first floor mate is waiting for us, and she like you know gives me a gives us both like this big hug, and we're all like hugging and crying and all of that um and then we're like trying to figure out like now what do we do um um so the second floor mate goes and like makes me hot chocolate I am just like so utterly disgusted like I can still feel where the man like bit my lip like I am just like horrified so I like go into the dorm bathroom and like just like brush my teeth like i i couldn't get like the icky off of me um so then we went to our peer mentor instead and she woke up um, and she came out and like talked to us and you know she followed the protocol of calling the r.a on duty and the r.a on duty then had to call the r.d and the police
0: Mick decides to follow through with reporting their assault. They describe a process mired in frustration, misunderstanding, and pressure from campus and local authorities to decide whether or not to press charges.
1: Like, you know, like, well, why didn't you call us? And they're like, well, I was terrified. Like, I was. Terrified for my safety. I was kind of, like, frozen there in the chair. So it was just, like, very, like, victim-blamey of, like, oh, like, if you had called us, this wouldn't have happened sort of a thing.
0: Mix said they were surprised to find that they remembered a faint picture of the perpetrator's face. And they were able to provide to police, among other vague descriptors, the detail that he was Black.
1: And so they just printed out, like a bunch of, like, pictures of, like, Black men, and we're like, is he one of these? It it just felt, like, very, like, racist. Like, because none of them were him. It was just, like, printing out random Black people. It, It was very bizarre.
0: At the time of the incident, Mick's personal phone was broken, and they were communicating using an old family flip phone loaded with an outdated list of unfamiliar contacts
1: didn't know who half the contacts were in my phone, so I couldn't help them, and I think they were, like, frustrated that, like, how could I not know who these contacts were in my phone, but they're my dad's, not mine, so.
0: After receiving a phone call from a person named David, and following a hunch that the contact had belonged to their assailant, Mick and their RA used social media to uncover David's identity. It was detectives on the night shift who had taken Mick's case and who continued to routinely call Mick and visit their dorm between 9.30 and 10 o'clock at night during the weeks that followed. Even in a college town like Amherst, Massachusetts, the process of reporting a sexual assault still hadn't been optimized to accommodate student victims, many of whom grow weary and fatigued by a process that was not structured to facilitate reporting. And
1: so Sunday night UMPD comes to my door at midnight and they're like, okay, like you like you need to make your decision now, like are you going to press charges or not? I didn't even know what questions to ask um or anything like that. I was just so confused and they really weren't answering my questions and like I said I didn't even know what questions to ask. So I I really had no idea what was going on, but they just were pressuring me so much.
0: Mick also hears from the Dean of Students Office, which is conducting its own investigation and has set a date to hear her case. The assault that happened in mid-November wouldn't receive a hearing until the next year, in mid-February. After three months of internal deliberation, Mick decides to attend although virtually.
1: So, you know, the hearing starts, and, you know, there's the opening and the and the arguments and the closing, like, you know, like a normal court proceeding, I guess. The people who are on, like, the, the hearing board or whatever the term is, you know, they don't know me. They've never met me. And so that was terrifying that, like, I don't know how many people were on that little panel, like... Three, four, or five, um just knowing that you know my fa- my fate lay in the hands of those handful of people, and during um the hearing itself the my assailant actually like was speaking to me by name like he he called me like Miss Michaela or whatever, and I don't know that was just like killing to hear him say my name
0: when it's his turn to speak david says that mick had been under the influence of marijuana and had instigated their interaction he also reminds his audience that he loves his girlfriend at this point in their life mick had never had a single drink of alcohol or smoked or ingested marijuana of any form concurrently with the assault mick had also been coming to terms with their sexuality if they were to approach a stranger with romantic intentions, Mick says, it wouldn't have been a boy.
1: By the next day, they had already um, come to a decision, and they finally gave me the verdict. Um, and he was found responsible, and he was suspended um, until the end of 2016. Then a week later, I get another email that says that my assailant has appealed. And he won his appeal. Um, and so, you know, now he's only suspended until August um, of that same year. So at the bottom, it says, you know, this is the final verdict. I mean, there are no more appeals allowed. Um, and so I am just confused. Like, there's zero context whatsoever on this little letter that was sent to my email. Um... You know, this man violated me, violated my body, touched me without my consent, um, and, like, I was terrified walking around campus. I Googled him recently, and there's stuff about, like, some sort of, like, med school and, like, a a science publication and stuff like that, and I, I still have those same questions of, like, well... Why did a med school accept someone like that? Like, who has this, I hope, on their record? um, And like, you know, is this who gets to become a future doctor? Because I can tell you, you know, I I wouldn't want this guy treating me or my friends or my family or, you know, even my worst enemy.
0: David ends up transferring schools. Mick was not informed of his change in location and describes living in fear and paranoia of running into their assailant again at the library or in the dining hall or in the corridors of the residential building where he knew they lived. The morning Mick returns from their deposition, the morning after the assault, they leave a note for their roommate. Please remember your key. It was the first of every morning to come that Mick would lock their dorm room door. They never felt safe re-entering the library. And when, in their junior year, they consider switching majors and exploring a pre-med track, they're reminded of their assailant's medical ethics essay.
1: You know, the library is literally, like, the focal point of campus. Like, that, you can see it from anywhere— And so, like, literally, if I just look out the window, I'm reminded, like, literally every time I just look out the window. And so it was just, it wasn't easy. Um, And so, yeah, UMass failed me.